sport administrators, sport fans and participants themselves. Sarah and Ash sit down with a bunch of inspiring female leaders from within the sports industry who share their journey of achieving their aspirations. Today's guest has been travelling the world delivering world-class sporting events ever since she graduated uni. Combining her love for sports and travel, Karen Matthews is currently living in Singapore working for the Ironman Group as the Manager of Athlete Services. Prior to moving to Singapore, Karen worked on events such as the Masters Games, Arafura Games, Commonwealth Games, Youth Olympics and multiple triathlon events. Combining her project management skills with her strong understanding of elite sport and athlete needs, Karen is achieving great things in her career and we are so excited to welcome her to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It makes my uh, career sound a little <laughs> bit more exciting than I, than I realised. <laughs> it is fun actually um, researching everyone. Like obviously I know you, um, Karen and I went to uni together but um, you know, just going back through and seeing everyone's history and what they've been through since we've left uni. It's been, um, yeah, it's been really fun reading through it. So congrats on what you've done. Thank um, you. It's a very impressive resume. <laughs> yes. It's very varied at times, but yeah. That's probably what makes it so impressive. Yeah. <laughs> we like to start off with the same question to get into the spirit of things with all our guests. I and mean, that question is, what is your earliest memory of sport? Probably kicking the soccer ball around with my brother in the backyard was probably one of the the first things that I've ever really done. And we continued to do it growing up, sort of as we went. I always followed him, whatever sport he played, I played. You know, you have an older brother. You know, I think he was playing soccer from three or four years old. So I did that as well. And every sport possible. We live by the beach, so did nippers. Being from where I grew up on the northern New South Wales coast, that it was an outdoors sort of place, so very outdoors and sporty, always played sport. I don't really remember my first memory as such, but we were always outdoors, kicking a soccer ball, we had the hockey stick out, whatever, had the football throwing that around but yeah classic Australian childhood a bit of everything yeah exactly never never cared what I was doing but as long as we were outside riding bikes whatever do you think that played into obviously choosing to work in sport like how early do you think you thought oh this is what I want to do with my life from that perspective I don't think I sort of necessarily knew until sort of maybe later in once once I sort of got to high school sort of maybe year 11 year 12 as I was starting to make some career decisions my brother was a lot more motivated to be a professional sports person than, than I was from that perspective I just enjoyed sort of the the friendship aspect and being involved and getting to travel the time off school um <laughs> sort of stuff. yeah it was never sort of like you know getting the med like the gold medals and that sort of stuff it was always sport was like one of my first loves but never saw it as a elite athlete perspective then, you know, I was always injured growing up as well. So I was like, oh, maybe I want to be a physio. But then realised that actually that took a lot of a lot of work. There was no 
particular one thing. I had one of my brother's mates went into sort of sports management and he started working at the Queensland Olympic Council and that sort of stuff. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. So, yeah, just like sport management wasn't a huge thing when when we were growing up from that perspective, you know, was always volunteers um, with sporting clubs and that sort of stuff. So just sort of was a natural progression, I guess, for me um, moving into into the sports admin, deciding that actually let's combine some management and exercise science when I went to uni and see what goes from there. The reason we got into triathlon, obviously, my brother was great at soccer and was in the sort of started to be in the Queensland teams, Gold Coast teams, and we used to do nippers on a weekend over summer. But then nippers coincided with rep training for my brother. So we had to stop doing nippers, but then um, he couldn't give up a sport and not take up a sport, <laughs> basically. So I found um, in Mwollomba, where I grew up, every Saturday morning over summer, the local tri club, Tweed Valley Triathletes, do a triathlon every Saturday morning just at the local pool. So you start at 6am and you're done by 7, 7.30. My brother was like, perfect, I swim and I cycle and I run anyway. Um, so that was, he took that up. Then obviously I couldn't do nippers on a Sunday because mum and dad had one car. Yeah. I followed, <laughs> we did triathlon instead. Um, and sort of that's where the love of triathlon grew, especially being from just south of the Gold Coast. Like it's was the breeding ground for yeah. most of um, Australia's top triathletes and that sort of stuff. So, yeah. And then with him being a professional, I sort of followed and loved the sport. And I, I love that as the story, though, in terms of how people come to find their jobs. Like we've spoken to a few people who maybe didn't start out thinking that they were going to follow their passion in sport and it was just going to be a passion and then they've fallen into it later or through other things. Whereas the fact that you're like, yeah, I loved it and now I get to work in it every day. I think yeah. it's just a really good story because, you know, it's great to have people that are so passionate about the sports they're working in and you feel like the sport's in really good hands. Yeah, and it's amazing like now coming full circle because I worked in triathlon at the start of my career, sort of my, my second job out of uni, second and third job out of uni, and then sort of had a break for a few years and now I'm back working in triathlon and working for Ironman so yeah it's it's pretty cool and seeing how it's grown over the last 10 years is is something cool and I guess working in Asia it's such a an exciting time maybe not with COVID um but looking for the the growth opportunities that um Asia has that Australia's already sort of reached that potential and sort of next level, whereas there's so much excitement to be a part of what the Asia region hopefully will bring in the next couple of years. I have to ask, so you grew up in an amazing area of Australia on the, um, you know, just near the Gold Coast in northern New South Wales, and then you moved to Bathurst for uni. So that's a pretty big move for someone. We just... I guess you knew you really wanted to do sports management and that was, I guess, the pathway into it or, you know, for, so for those that don't know, um, Bathurst is a freezing near kind of the Blue Mountains. It's it's a nice, lovely town, but it's definitely no 
surf coast or gold coast area when i when i was choosing like my uni options and that sort of stuff i actually had applications into queensland new south wales and victoria unis um so when i when i got sort of the um acceptances back I had the option to go to, I think it was La Trobe Uni, which was, I think, in Mount Buller. Then I had a different one on the Gold Coast, but it was a tourism one. So was sort of going through my thoughts on what I wanted to do. Also decided I could have gone to Lismore, to Southern Cross Uni, but it was a bit too close to home for me. I wanted to venture ready for venture an adventure. Away a little bit. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say we'll get into some of your travel um, a little <laughs> bit later, but it sounds like it was something that you yeah. set your mind to very, yeah. very early that you were yeah. not going to base yourself in one spot. Yeah, and then like looking at the like the actual degrees that that they were at Bathurst at Charles Sturt was a double degree, so it was a Bachelor of Human Movement and a Bachelor of Business. So it was a four-year degree versus some of the others that were only three years. There was a couple of different decision factors. And then my dad actually went to Bathurst Uni as well when it was uh, Mitchell Teachers College. Very random, but absolutely loved my four years there. So it was great. And you mentioned your, I guess, your second and third role out of uni was in triathlon. What was your first role? So my first role out of uni was actually um, working with the Australian Olympic Committee. It was 2008 and it was a lead into the 2008 Beijing Olympics. So I was a sport assistant and basically was just involved in all of the planning that was sort of required for the Australian team to go to the Beijing Olympics, which was an absolutely amazing experience from, you know, working with the national federations, getting their doctors, physios, massage therapists all signed up, making sure that they were all accredited to to actually practice in China, putting all of the Australian uniforms into the IOC database to be approved and even sending out sort of, you know, the travel uniforms that all of the the athletes and team officials wore on the plane to get to Beijing and that sort of stuff. So just an amazing experience to to see everything that goes into getting the Australian team to the Olympics. And I like I think I only started in the February and August they were on like they were on their way so that was such a short lead-in um but was amazing to sort of see it also I actually got that role because I did my internship through uni at the AOC as well so the previous year I did six weeks with the AOC sort of free work but great experience through uni and being able to give, have that opportunity as a first job out of uni was just incredible and something that I'm so grateful for the team to be able to to give to me. Did you always want to work in events or was it just sort of, you know, the, the internship opportunity come up so you thought, I'll do this, and then that led to sort of your life in events or it was a conscious decision when you are looking for internships and roles? 
It was a fairly conscious decision. So throughout my time at uni, we didn't have a whole lot of prac type things for our degree as such. I think we only did two as part of our subjects, which, you know, weren't a lot in the scheme of things. I chose to do um, the business internship, which was an extra one. So I had three compared to anyone that does teaching and that sort of stuff that basically you do pracs every year and, you know, every semester nearly. So yeah, definitely a conscious decision. And outside of that, I also went looking for different volunteer opportunities and other people that I knew that were either running events or different things. So I think 2006, the ITU World Duathlon Championships were held in Newcastle and my brother was friends with the lady that was organising it. So I got in contact with her and did three weeks work over our uni holidays and got the experience to work on that event and that sort of stuff. So it wasn't necessarily sort of events wasn't the thing I necessarily wanted to do, but then actually with the internships and the volunteer opportunities that I wanted to do or found that that's how it sort of ended up being a part of. I mean, it seems like it definitely sounds like you're a bit of a go-getter and you kind of seek your own opportunities as well. What do you think, though, has been your biggest challenge in your career within sport so far? I think some of the hardest things that I found, obviously I've had such a varied sort of background and varied jobs over the time, not necessarily conscious decisions with some of my roles, but a lot of them have been contract roles, which has, you know, definitely created some anxiety at times and that sort of stuff um, when I don't necessarily have a role after. Um, so I'm unemployed for a, for a month or two or depending even longer, that sort of stuff. So from that perspective, I guess, like my actual jobs itself, there's been challenges um, that I've faced in a lot of, a lot of jobs. But I guess the hardest thing has probably been between jobs from that perspective. I think it's really interesting advice for people who sort of might be looking into getting into that event space because everyone I know who works sort of, I guess, on this world circuit of sporting events, like it's still a relatively small world. So something no doubt normally comes up. Obviously, you think it's it's worth it to put up with that sort of anxiety between jobs and things like that, but maybe some advice for people or young females who are looking to get into that side of things and maybe they've just come out of their first role and especially with COVID struggling to get the next one or something like that, but some advice for them to maybe make sure they stick to it? Yeah, I think, as you just said, like sport is such a small world and if you want to get on the the bandwagon with all of the events side of things, especially like the Olympics and Com Games and that sort of stuff, from my perspective, I think a lot of the jobs that I've been very lucky to have got is a lot of the it's who you know, not what you know. But in saying that, it's still what you know because you've got to be a hard worker, you've got to be good at your job and have that understanding and that sort of stuff because I guess, you know, if if you're not good at what you do, then you're not necessarily going to get hired again. 
so sport is a small world so it's a bit of who you know and what you know sort of thing so I think that's probably sort of the biggest thing so building those relationships with people that you work with with stakeholders and that sort of stuff is key for some longevity within the industry for sure. And I think it's really interesting when you say around the who you know part because say if you're working on an event with um, a whole group of people and you're doing an outstanding job of of performing your role, then people are going to remember you um, for all the right reasons when you're, you know, you're all applying or looking towards the next, I guess, world-class event that's going to be delivered. So it's a good thing, I think, for a lot of people to keep in the back of their minds is that it's it's not a case of, I guess, who you think your connections are, why they might be good, but you can make connections as well while you're out there working at these events and kind of form your own little network while you're, while you're going Definitely. And we've sort of found if if I don't know someone, we're looking to hire, um, you know, someone for a job. If I don't know someone, someone else will um, and that sort of stuff. So, you know, when you're going through a lot of those CVs looking for jobs, people will know others. So definitely, yeah, there's there's a lot of that background type of thing going yeah. around. <laughs> How do you find building relationships with that? And we're obviously a female in sports podcast. And I don't want to make too many generalisations about females compared to males, but generally maybe not as confident when they first walk into situations or, or new workplaces and you're consistently doing that and then in a lot of cases potentially leading a team of people that you may not know very well or may not have met before at all. How do you sort of make yourself comfortable and ensure that you're still coming across, I guess, with the right leadership skills whilst maybe being a little bit anxious yourself? Yeah, I guess I think it's just sort of whether it's instinct or anything like that, it's it's just learning on, on the job um, is probably the biggest thing, getting yourself out of those comfort zones. I think as I've had so many different roles and the experience like I think working at the Youth Olympic Festival understanding some of those different cultures that when I was 24 25 um, at the time probably didn't necessarily understand a lot of those different cultures we had our Indian men's hockey team at the time realized that as a female they don't really take a lot of uh, you know caring a female uh, telling them what they can or can't do which was a massive a learning curve especially because I was 24 25 in charge of the village and telling a 50 55 year old male that sorry you can't do this or this is what you have to do they're not really accepting of that sort of stuff so I think just a lot of the experiences that I've gained has given me the confidence to go into some of these new situations that I've sort of put myself into sometimes and just sometimes it's a bit of fake it till you make it type thing. Yes, I'm Um, such a supporter of that. Yeah, so, you know, if you sound confident and that sort of stuff, like if they don't know, then like it sounds right. I really appreciate in events roles, your decision is your decision almost 
final. You don't get a redo. I can decide something today and tomorrow and then in a week go, oh, actually, I don't think I want it to do that and come back where you guys have got to be such decisive decision makers because it's literally something that's happening in front of you right here, right now. Yeah, especially on the ground. I guess it's been sort of cool, calm, collected and just sort of, you know, a lot of events that we do, we do prepare for contingencies and um, that sort of stuff. Like at Com Games, we did like basically massive role plays of if this can happen, what do you do? Let's go through sort of all of the situations and that sort of stuff. Um, so like there's so many different things that could happen. Um, and I guess you take all of your experiences and you sort of just, if it's wrong, it's wrong and you learn from it. But and you, you own up to it and you, you own your decision at times. But also, yeah, you don't have, like, if you're at an event, you don't have a couple of hours to make a decision. So you just make it and deal with it later type thing. But also I've been lucky enough to work with some amazing people and that have the confidence in me. But also if I've needed to revert up, then, you know, to communicate upwards and the right people will make those decisions for me if required, if it's had to go to someone else and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's definitely um, definitely been a massive learning curve. There's so many, so many stories <laughs> that I, I have across being told off by a 50-year-old male telling me his uniform's not right and then having the... <laughs> a lady stick up for me as a 23 year old like yeah it's there's so many so many crazy things and then working with teams that when you're in Sydney and they're in Europe like trying to make decisions and trying to work with businesses to make sure that you know hire cars are available when they get off a plane and that sort of stuff it's just being like all right let's just work out what what is the outcome that we want and let's work backwards from there sometimes so and you've mentioned quite a, a bit around the different roles that you've had and I obviously mentioned it um in the intro but I'm I, I'm interested to hear I guess what's been the most rewarding event or experience that you've had in your career to date I know you've got a lot of um, different stories that you've got you might not have one but if there is, you know, I guess a favourite memory or, or something that was really rewarding. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've got like just one favourite memory because I think as like as I've had so many different roles and so many different um, events that I've worked on, there's so many highlights. Like, you know, working for when I was working for USM Events, which is now the Ironman Group in Australia, um, we closed down the Sydney Harbour Bridge for the World Triathlon Series races, which is obviously not a uh, great thing that always happens. So it's a pretty amazing feat to be able to close the Sydney Harbour Bridge down for some elite triathlon racing. Some more recent, obviously, the triathlon racing for the 2018 Commonwealth Games, being a home games. Like I grew up and I raced um, as a as a junior on the same sort of 
rough circuit type thing. And then 2019 Arafura Games up in Darwin um, was probably one of the toughest, but also one of the most rewarding events that I worked on because the Games itself had been on a hiatus for about eight years and trying to communicate with a lot of the countries that surrounded the Arafura Sea and trying to get teams to the Arafura Games. We started started the year not knowing if we'd uh, have 500 athletes at the Games and then the Games managed, we managed to have sort of over 1,500 athletes by sort of the end of April, which was a, a massive feat to have been able to, to achieve achieve that one for sure but then I think also working for Ironman standing at a finish line of an Ironman race is probably one of the most emotional things that I seem to always no matter what race it is I always seem to get emotional watching these athletes come across the finish line and seeing their emotions is is something like no other so being able to put on those events for them is just amazing because you see them achieve their goals that they've been training for the last 12, 18 months, who knows how long, which is, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, it's a crazy achievement to be able to do an Ironman. You haven't yeah. been inspired to do one yet? Oh, not yet, but <laughs> you never know. I might. Sounds like there's a chance. Yeah, there's definitely never a chance. <laughs> Maybe, we'll see. Obviously, the athletes inspire um you a lot then like you said it's it's one of the most rewarding parts of your job is you see them come come across do you look to anyone else for inspiration in your career or have any mentors or anyone like that I've had a lot of um sort of I don't know if I necessarily always call them mentors but a lot of great leadership across a lot of my roles that I've worked in like Kate McLaughlin who's now sort of the chef de mission for the the Paralympic teams has been sort of an amazing person to look up to and see what she's achieved which is which is great and just even a lot of other sort of leaders throughout all of my my roles I think have been amazing Sally Jarvis who I was lucky enough to work with on Com Games and then also as I previously said it's not it's about who you know she managed to um sort of she was a our uh, our big boss for the Arafura Games, so got me up to Darwin for Arafura Games, and everything that I learned from her was just amazing, and everything that she managed to to pull together was incredible for that games in such a short period of time. So it's actually pretty crazy thinking about a lot of people that I've worked with in sport and over the last sort of 12 years, nearly 13 years that a lot of the leaders that I've looked up to have actually been females. Everything, a lot that I've learnt is from females, which is which is pretty amazing and it's great to see. Yeah, I think it's funny actually. We've had a few people um, on the podcast and when we ask them about their mentor, even if they've had a mentor, it's never really been in any type of official capacity. It's just built up by the relationships that they've made and the leaders that they've had within their network. So I think there's real value in, you know, once you've got a great leader and you're working with someone that you really admire and you just learn so much from them. Um, And like you said, then that also connects you into, you never know where they might pop up in the future when you're looking for a job. So yeah, I think it's, it's a really good point. 
Something um, I did want to ask you, it's January 2021, we're still living with coronavirus. What does life look like when you're managing a sport event during COVID-19? What's your day look like at the moment, your week? I guess it's uh, very different to what you thought when you probably moved over to Singapore. Yep. Um, I think, yeah, moving here in February, it was definitely um, six weeks before we went into Circuit Breakers. So, the conversations is like, yep, you'll be travelling every two weeks to all of sort of our races across Asia, whether it's Philippines, Malaysia, Taiwan, Japan, Korea, South Korea, that sort of stuff. So haven't actually left Singapore since February last year. So coming up to the 12 months, we've pretty much cancelled every event except two which i was actually lucky enough to be involved with from a virtual capacity i guess so working with the local teams on the ground and just providing guidance from that perspective that they were putting in best practices like our ironman best practices and that sort of stuff into their events but from here in Singapore, I guess our biggest event is the Standard Chartered Singapore Marathon, which is usually run in December every year. Obviously, with over 40,000 runners, that was never going to happen. So from that perspective, virtual running has been what we've uh, managed to, to do and take on board with a lot of our um, runners. So as part of sort of the Ironman group, we've got a virtual club platform. So the Ironman team have have that side, but then we did our own standard chartered Singapore Marathon virtual club where we ran, we ran 13 weeks worth of virtual races in the lead into our grand finale weekend in December, which again was all virtual. We partnered with Ruby, which is similar to Zwift, um, where they we had a, a virtual Singapore route that athletes and runners could actually run along and feel like they were a part of Singapore Marathon type thing. So, but again, still working from home. At the moment, Singapore is still, we are, I guess, looking at um, opening up the country where now allowed to to hang out in groups of eight people but our office we're still working from home looking at planning for Singapore Marathon and what that means in December but every day who knows? changes so yeah. who knows yeah pretty fair effort to start any new job I reckon during lockdown and working from home let alone having just moved to a new country and all of that sort of stuff so I'm sure you've got plenty of learnings out of it's the uh, massive, last 12 months yeah it's been a massive challenge but actually a great and like I'm, I'm probably being busier now than what I um, probably would normally have thought I would have been cancelling events and moving athletes like deferring and transferring and that sort of stuff so it's been massive learnings which has been awesome and I think it's been massive learnings for for everyone across the business so and hopefully it's just a new new normal as everyone says and we'll take this into sort of whatever it means for 2021 and the future that we can roll out with COVID safe events as such so 
again, a lot of virtual stuff at the moment and then, you know, potentially whether it's limited numbers or social distancing or um, a lot of the PPE and that sort of stuff, who knows? Like you said, obviously there's a lot of virtual events and you, you have to think differently, but nothing will probably ever, well, nothing will ever replace that moment on the finish line like you spoke about earlier. But what do you think maybe some of the things that will come next around events now, whether it's for, for you personally or just in general, how the future of events might change um, because of COVID? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a tough one because, yeah, as you said, like nothing's ever going to replace that physical event, people sort of cheering you on and that sort of stuff. But continuing to engage online communities with those virtual races and, yeah, I really don't know if we're going to, how we're going to be able to top what we've um, what we've just achieved. So I think there's so many other companies or whether it even be individuals that have sort of got on the virtual bandwagon so yeah I guess it's just the way we engage these runners is probably sort of our biggest thing and you know working with sort of that customer service aspect that the athletes are at the heart of what we do so thinking the best thing for them is how we're how we're going to achieve is probably the biggest thing I don't know what that looks like at the moment or how we yeah better that but that's probably the biggest thing again is what our athletes want to see and want to do in the future and keeping them engaged and wanting to continue to um to do our races and be involved you know covid's obviously thrown us a whole heap of challenges more than we ever expected but it's also created really interesting opportunities as well you know like you said who would have thought you would have been organizing virtual um races or or engagement communities um and i think you know there'll always be that aspect now and then and then people will still you know the sports lovers and the athletes will crave that that live sporting event when we can finally finally go back to to watching it i know us living here in melbourne's craving the footy footy starting soon we haven't had anything so yeah fingers crossed one final question what are the the top three tips you would give to i guess a budding female sports administrator starting her her career um you know even if she's starting at university or if she's just leaving university you know top tips that you've obviously given us quite a few throughout this um this chat i think probably the top ones definitely sort of those building relationships and sort of finding what you want to do is definitely sort of a thing because you know if you're not passionate about it then like sometimes it's it's hard to to enjoy that so yeah building relationships being passionate about your job and challenge yourself i think like get out of your comfort zone and that sort of stuff so like it's it's not always easy but just give it a go and you'll be surprised at what you what you can do and that sort of stuff so 
Thank you very much for your time, Karen. I think awesome. that was um, yeah, awesome pieces of advice there. I think the challenge yourself one is something that clearly you've done in your career. Moving around so much would always be um, such a challenge for so many people and looks like you've done it well. But good luck with COVID in Singapore. Hopefully you can get some events off the ground very soon and travel to some of those places like I think you said the Philippines and things like that. So that <laughs> sounds awful. So I hope you can get there sooner rather than later. And then maybe yeah. we'll, uh, we'll get you back on when you finish that Ironman yourself. <laughs> Yeah, as an athlete. It's on the record now. So yeah. <laughs> look out. But no. Start training. Exactly that. But thank you very much for your time and um, we wish you all the best. Thanks, Thanks guys. guys. We hope you enjoyed today's episode hearing about Karen's journey in the sports industry. Don't forget to subscribe to the Sports Intuition Podcast so you don't miss future episodes. Next week we hear from Ingrid Proud, who has worked in the world's biggest sporting events for over twenty years. I'll always make sure that if things need to get done, if there's people, regardless, we just get in and do it. Because that in myself is your team's going to then deliver better if you see um, you actually do what you say.